Hello, my name is Kate Gingell and you're listening to the Remarkableness Podcast, a weekly conversation with remarkable people. Today, I'm with the remarkable Warren Loudon. Um, before becoming a successful financial planner, Warren did three tours in Afghanistan with the 2nd Commando Regiment, a special forces unit in the Australian Army. In this podcast, Warren talks about what life is like living in war zone conditions. We talk about the prevalence of post-traumatic stress disorder and the challenges soldiers face when readjusting to civilian life. It was a great privilege to interview Warren today, and I know you'll enjoy listening to his story and his insights. So Warren, thank you so much for being here with me this morning. And um, I think just to just to start with, this is going to you know this topic is uh, on post-traumatic stress disorder and what what you've been through and what some of your colleagues have been through is a fairly sombre topic. Before we actually get into that, could you perhaps tell me a little bit about your background and um, and really how you you know why you decided to go into the army in the first place? Yeah, no worries. Thank you, Kate. Um, so I'm originally from North Queensland. I grew up uh, in a little town called Mount Surprise. Right. Population mm-hmm. 40. Oh, really? Yeah. Tiny. Um, <laughs> and then uh, we moved into the Atherton Tablelands, which is like an hour west of Cairns. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I went to boarding school in Charters Towers at All Souls and St. Gabriel's. Um, did a trade, which mm-hmm. I hated. Oh, did you? Um, straight from school. Yeah, yeah straight yeah. from school. Mm-hmm. Did diesel fitting. Right. But I hated it. Right. Uh, <laughs> And then after a couple of years, I decided that I just couldn't keep doing it and I mm. wanted to join the army. Right. Um, I did, I couldn't get in because they weren't recruiting infantry. Oh, really? Uh, okay. So it took me like three years to get in. Why? Wow, so you were quite keen. Yeah, in that so three years, I just trained. So I was quite right, overweight okay. at the time. I just trained, mm. ran, swam, heaps of weights and that kind of stuff, trying to get mm. fitter. Mm. And then finally got the call up. Wow. Yeah, that's it. And how quickly then did you go overseas? Re- oh, and, uh, I mean, and Overseas, yeah. um, so I joined in January 2004, right? And I was overseas by January 2006. So, so two years. Although that's not that's not that long. No. Um, a lot of guys, you know, when Afghan was going really full on, would do their recruit training, do infantry training, and be over almost straight away. So. So there was no. I mean, there was no question in your mind that when you joined, that you would be doing something like that. That you would be. Going that's why to, I joined. Like yeah. I, I, for me, I joined to be tested, mm. to work out who I was and, mm. and find my place in the world. Um, and I didn't, like, I didn't know what I was at that, didn't know what that was at that time. No, no. Um, so I joined up knowing that I would be sent overseas somewhere. Mm. I'd probably be fighting, which is what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from that, I would sort of hopefully find myself. Mm. Mm. So I did it. Interesting. And did the, did the training actually equip you then for for your first impressions of what it was like to land in somewhere like that and and yeah. I excuse my ignorance about it but when you when you actually arrive somewhere like that are you pretty much immediately in some, in a in a war zone as such or yeah so we would fly um, we'd fly from Sydney airport Sydney mm-hmm. just domestic airport mm-hmm. in your civilian clothes and you'd fly into um, Kuwait at the time mm. and then you'd get changed in your military gear and then you'd fly into Afghan right. so it's a really strange sort of yes. setup yes um did it prepare you? Yes. So the training we did was really realistic. Uh, lots and lots of stresses in Australia, mm. and that put you through different scenarios. In the with you know the idea that when you were faced with a scenario, you know a complicated scenario, you, maybe you'd done that in training. Mm. So it's much easier to handle. Mm. Um, so when we got over there, and, and the first time we were in a, getting shot at, it it was pretty much like training. Like was it, it was yeah, yeah, it was really strange. Like. Mm okay, well, I knew this was going to happen and I knew that was going to happen and uh, I am quite anxious. Like, there's a lot of 
adrenaline pumping through I'm your body. Sure. But, yes. but the mechanics of it, you've done it a thousand times before, right. so it wasn't okay. too bad. So the training was good. Yep. Mm. So your thoughts, your thoughts and experiences was was the you were stressed. Was there a lot of fear? No, I don't think so. Really? No, no, not a lot of fear. No. A lot of apprehension. So before a big mission, um, you know, they'd lay out what you're going to do and you'd be sort of, you'd weigh it up and go, okay, this is going to be quite a dicey one and mm. uh, this is going to be tough. It's going to be a lot of fighting. Who knows what's going to happen here? But, you know, it, it, it's you can't be stressed 24 hours a day for months on end. Mm. At some point, you just get bored. Mm, yeah. Okay. It's really it's strange, really right? So at some yeah. point, it just gets all boring. Yeah. Um, and the danger becomes normal and ridiculous things happening become normal. Close calls yeah. are normal. Right. You know, mm. whereas mm. before you went to Afghan, if a bullet was shot within 100 metres of you, it was a big deal. Whereas yes. after you've been there a couple of weeks, if it's not within 10 metres of you, it's not a big deal. Really? Yeah, it's really strange, yeah, isn't right? Isn't that interesting? So yeah. you know, it's complete new new normal. New normal, yeah. Mm. Mm. So I remember getting, at the end of my first trip, getting shot at and just wouldn't, we didn't get out, get out of our swag. We were like, well, it's obviously just a straight bullet, nothing really? to do with us. No. We'll just say in a swag, right? But it's crazy. Yeah, yeah right. so okay. it does change that. Yes. And did you know most of them? You talk about, a, uh, we've talked before, we talk about a unit. Uh, how, how big is a unit of, of people? Um, this is, I actually don't know. Like, oh, right. I, I, know <laughs> my, I know my immediate area, but I don't yeah. know, um, you know, battalions and all that stuff. So, but in our, in, in our, I was in the commandos, we'd have a six-man team, and there'd be two teams to a section, and then three sections to a platoon, and right. then three platoons to a company. Okay. And then that, I don't know anything above that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, um, mm. so our world was just our sort of six guys, mm. and mm. then then the, and then the wider section, the biggest we'd operate would be company level, okay. which is about a right. hundred and something guys. Okay. Yeah. And, and the six you were with, or the, did you know them before before you got there? My first team. Um, uh, I joined the army with one of them, but the other mm. five no, okay. other four no. Mm. Um, but we, are, you know, you all end up living together yeah, so for ages, mm, mm. and then that's so the end of the first trip. They all get changed out, and you get another five guys, right. and you're trained with them for the next two years. At the end of that trip, they mm. get swapped out again. So, and the reasoning behind that is, it, is it because relationships, you know, that you almost get too close, and therefore perhaps you behave differently, or no, uh, it's in about, a way um, to, I think it's know. about spreading the knowledge. Right, okay. Mm. Um, so mm. if you've got one team that's all, you know, only ever done certain things with certain people, that's all mm. they know. Mm. Uh, and usually people will progress up a rank, which will change the whole dynamic again as well. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, mm. they're just trying to spread the knowledge, I think. Yeah, yeah. yes. So living together as a unit, I, what, did you, what did you learn about that? I mean, it, again, it must be very, I suppose it becomes normal, but obviously if you come from a, a fairly normal family over here, um, you have your own space. Over there, you, might, you can't have your own space, really. Can you? Well, we're pretty lucky. Like, mm. uh, we had, you have like six guys to a room, but mm. you partition it off. It's all fine. Okay. Like, but mm. you, you don't really want to be alone like over yeah, there. Like okay. it's, mm. it's a different. You're all on a mission. Mm. You're all on the same goal. Mm. Um, you fight together. You know, in case you know you, your mates are dying beside you, it's, it's a mm. different dynamic. So mm. uh, I don't think it's you actually want to be together. Yeah, it, it, yeah. you really. Yeah, I don't think everyone appreciate it, but it is the best time of your life. It's an okay. amazing time. Mm. Um, to one, have a bunch of people you like who you train mm. with. Mm. Two, you've got this 
awesome mission where you're part of history mm. and you're changing the world, mm. you know, in whatever small sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and your sense of purpose is immense. You don't get that anywhere else. No, which explains, therefore, quite a lot about uh, about what happens when when you come home. I mean, to a lot of people, in a way. Yeah, and, well, uh, we'll probably go through that later. We'll but yeah, you're right. Yeah, minute, uh, yeah, yes, but it does yeah. put it into perspective. Um, and I mean, how do you, how do you actually come to terms and deal with the things that you that you do see there? And again, when you're there, I suppose you're sharing it with others. Perhaps mm. that, that. Look, I think. Like we're a volunteer force, mm. so no one we weren't conscripted. Mm. We willingly willingly went went there. Yeah. So I think the mindset is slightly different in that I'm here because of my own decisions. Mm. So therefore, everything that's happening to me is my own fault. Having said that, it doesn't make it easy to deal with. But yeah, mm. like at the time, you just sort of deal with it because what's the alternative? You just give up and. What, run away you can't do that no so you've mm. just got to deal with it and mm. you'll draw strength from others so you might be having a bad day and you might be tired and something bad might have happened to you but someone in the group will will stand up and take mm. and lead the way mm. um which is just the way it works you know like it's a that's, teamwork that's a teamwork yeah, yeah. exactly yeah it's even really yep. bad stuff but mm. you know you can't you can't lose your no and having been there, sorry, I, but you you did three stints there or yeah, four? Three. three? Tours, yeah. So having done one tour there, how easy or hard was it to actually go back for the second and the third? Was there any reluctance there, or having knowing what it would be like? Or no. So mm. every trip sort of um, revealed something else that made me want to go back. Right. So my first trip, we were involved in a couple of little sort of gunfights and. They were good, and, mm. uh, but no one died, I don't think. No one died, but guys, none of our guys died. Mm. Um, but at the end of that trip, it was like, that was awesome. I want to keep mm. doing that. That's oh, great. Yeah, okay. mm. So then um, the bad thing is you have to train for another year and a half to go In back. In order to go back again. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realise that. So then you've got to so. train, and you're away from home like nine months of the year yeah, training. Yeah. Um, and then you go back. Mm. And then that, we went back. And then at the end of my second trip, Luke Worsley was killed. Mm. And I was like, okay, well, Luke's been killed. I can't quit now. I've got to stay in and do this again because mm. if I quit now, it'll be if always in the back of my like mind it. that I quit. Yeah, so it's like, okay, mm. well, let's go again. So nice. another year and a half training and went back over. Yeah. And then yeah. went back over. Uh, and then that was when Damien Tomlinson, who uh, he got lost his legs. Mm. Um, we had a big fight down in... Um, down in um, What's the name of it? <laughs> Down Helman Province. Right, um, yeah. And that was a great way to end it for me. I was like, okay, I've done everything I wanted to do. Mm. Uh, it was a massive big battle down there. Time to go. Mm. And I was 33 and I was like, either I commit to this for the rest of my life or I make the move now. And I was like, mm. yeah, I've done what I want to do. Time to move on. And how did it change you? I mean, being in the... Uh, I think it changes a lot of things. Mm. So for me, a lot of stuff's not important anymore. Mm. Like, people get caught up in stuff. I just don't care about most things, to be honest. Like, mm, no. um, mm. Changes that. Changes the way you look at things. Yeah. Uh, so I try and take care of people much better. I don't always do it better, but I try to do it better. Mm. Um, I, I, I don't wake up every day appreciating life, but there are days where I just go, I'm so lucky to be alive. Mm. Mm. And why other people are whinging about losing hair or going grey or whatever. Must seem so, it must seem so trite. And, oh, yeah, man, I'm just like, you guys, small, yeah. you are so no lucky idea. to be living mm. alive, you know. Mm. Like the, the, mm. 
the really weird thing about combat is it's the it's the bravest guys who die because they're leading the charge they're pushing harder than everyone else mm. so they're the guys that die it's the guys like me and the other dudes who are in the middle of the pack we live on mm. and we get to have these amazing lives but it's the guys who fought the hardest who die so when you in my everyday life I'm like I am lucky to be alive mm. because these other guys gave their lives so therefore, I have to live my life the best I can okay, yeah. because I've given theirs. That's how I look at That's it. That's right? a wonderful way to look it's at a lot it. Of, it's a big mm. weight, though, because like, mm. you're carrying all these lives. Yeah, but yeah. You, otherwise, mm. it's just wasted. Otherwise, I've mm. given it for nothing. So It's hardly as if you weren't brave, too, though. My goodness. I mean, you know what? You were still putting yourselves right there. But, I, was uh, hide, I was hiding behind oh. cars and rocks and stuff. <laughs> I remember that. There's no bravery there. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> no, it's not a normal, normal soldier. But, mm. but I, met, I fought with some amazing guys who are actually mostly all dead now. But that's the way it goes. Yeah, yeah. Because they, they kept going, they stayed in. Or, or uh, they stayed. They, they, they some some men out there, and maybe women. I haven't mm. met. Uh, I didn't fight with any women, but um, some men out there are just absolute warriors, and mm. just they are at their best getting shot at. Mm. It's really weird, right? Mm. But they're in that environment. They are just amazing. Mm. Where the rest of us are mere mortals, they are um, calm, collected, right. have the ability to think, mm. uh, can think. You know, steps ahead of where you are, mm, mm. Uh, and those guys, they you know they get they get lots of medals, but most of them are, are gone. So yeah, yeah. that's the price they pay. Yeah. You know, is there? Mm. It sucks, but mm. you know, the other thing is then how do they adjust back into normal life? Exactly, it sounds like it was just that that, that was their life, and that, yeah, yeah. what they wanted to. It's like they were just really. born at the right mm, time, mm, mm. Uh, and to be these awesome soldiers. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I, I can you know, only imagine that trust and close relationships, obviously they play an important part um, in how you work and relax together. And, uh, and you, you talked about the danger and the combat. Um, does it make it, you know, those situations easier or harder because people you've grown close to are also in danger? I mean, we've sort of talked a little bit about that already, but um, it's just what life, it's just what life is. It's uh, just life. Like, yeah. Mm. Um, the, the irony is the harder you fight, the safer you are. So... Mm. If you're in a unit that's disorganised, only one or two people fighting, then none of you are safe. You'll be destroyed. Right. Whereas yeah. if you're in a unit where everyone's disciplined, everyone's fighting, mm. uh, you've got a much bigger chance of survival. So mm. Mm. in those situations, it's stressful. There's lots of stuff going on. Mm. You know, everyone's fighting their own battle mm. in that they're being shot at by someone, they're shooting at someone. So yeah. you're fighting an individual battle, but you're also fighting a broader battle as a team. Yes. And there's a bigger company. But, yes. Um, in that moment, you are fighting your battle, mm. and if you're a leader, you've also got to be thinking as well. Mm, so, of course. Um, does it um, make it easier or harder? Look, it's just the way it is. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, by the time you get to these situations, you've been through this in training thousands of times. Yeah. So when you're in the moment, mm. um, uh, you don't have to think about reloading your weapon. You don't mm. have to think about where your magazines are because you know where they are. Yeah. You don't have to think about what your other team members are doing because you know what they're doing okay right so all your mm. all your decisions are reduced down to fighting yeah and the, and yeah. the easier and the, the harder you fight the, the easier it is the, yeah. and the safer you become yes yeah. i suppose that you know back here one sort of assumes it may be just, it, chaos but it's organized chaos obviously in a situation I mean, yes yeah, yeah, yeah that's right yes, so completely what, mm. what they do in training is <clears throat> especially with the shooting component is they'll take you back to bare basics mm. and they'll build you up together mm. So that when you're fighting, you all know how 
you're going to move and operate, what you're going to do, and when you're going to do it. Mm. And even though the, the, the combat and the fighting will disrupt that, yeah. um, you know how everyone's going to react. Yeah. So the, okay. the training is what keeps you alive. Yes. And we did really awesome training, uh, lots of live fire, um, and they have like a big house like this. Right. So you can shoot in it, and it's amazing. It's like right. these awful video games. It's like, like a video game, yeah, that's right. So <coughs> yeah. by the time you get into that scenario, you know, you've already encountered these complex situations. Mm. Um, and even in, like, even in Afghan, like, you'd pop open a door into a compound, mm. and it wouldn't be like an Australian house with a corridor and a couple of doors. It'd be pop open the door, and there's like 15 doors and oh alleyways, like an alleyway and curtains, and you're just going, wow, there's so much going on here. Yeah. But yeah. the more you're exposed to that, you're like, okay, yes. well, I know that's the grain room or whatever, I know that's where right. the family sleep in, yeah. you can work yeah. it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's just familiarity yeah. with what you're doing. Extraordinary. And and moving on a little bit to, to how the experience, you know, what, what soldiers experience coming home again, do, do you think everybody to a certain degree suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder or not? I don't think so. You don't, okay. The stats say 20%, but right. I think it does mm. affect you. Mm. Is it PTSD? I don't think so. Like, mm. a bad situation is a bad situation. Mm. Everyone has mm. them. Does it change you? Yes, it changes you. Is it always bad? No. Mm. Some of it's great, but mm. uh, I, I don't. I don't know. Like, I think you are the person you are when you join the military. Yeah. You then go in and you fight this war. If you haven't dealt with that stuff from before you joined, well, you've yeah. still got to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. Just because you've gone to war doesn't change anything. Mm. But now you've got the stuff on top. Mm. Uh, so some guys, I know guys that are on six seven eight tours mm. and they appear to be pretty normal who knows you know who knows you <laughs> yeah. can't tell yes. um but then other guys will do one trip and go that's it i'm done i'm out right this is not for me mm. and that's fine mm. that's one trip's amazing as mm. it is mm. um mm. Uh, we were i mean sorry i interrupt but we were, we were talking some time ago i mean you were saying very sadly that three um, three men from your unit committed suicide um, since you got back, and one fairly recently. Yeah. Um, and just talking in general about you know what you were saying, people are what they are before they go. Um, and again, I can only imagine. But if if there's a if one of the reasons for for joining the army for enlisting is because they they don't necessarily have a, a sense of themselves yet. Yeah. Um, that they want to be part of something and they want that structure and they want to be told what to do. This is what I said at the start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Then you exactly. You've, you've worked me out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. But you you've come back and you know you've created a wonderful you know a wonderful life and but. But for some who come back and they've they've lost that camaraderie, they've lost the you know the close friendships. I can you can't I can imagine you can't possibly really explain to a close family member or partner what it was like unless you were actually there. I mean you can try, but not you can't perhaps get the whole feeling across. So mm. one can sort of see that suddenly you're you're back and you're on your own and mm. in, without a sense of purpose and um, without necessarily that sense of worth which one might not have had before going in the first place yep. that you can see where things start to unravel i think mm. you're right like if you if you're like i was which is you're lost you don't know who you are you're trying to find a sense of value you go into the army you find that sense of value mm. and then you leave the army you've lost that sense mm. of value so now you're back where you started mm. plus you've been through combat and probably seen your mates died yes you're not in a good spot no if you come from a really balanced family, you know who you are, and you join for whatever your reasons are, mm. you're probably much better positioned to deal with everything. Mm. Um, so a lot of guys just, they just can't. Like, and, and some, and I don't know how people feel about this, but some people just kill themselves. No matter what you do, they will just kill themselves. Mm. Mm. Um, they've made up their mind, and they'll just do it. No matter what you do, you can't do it. 
Um, the analogy I use for people uh, for, for the transition phase yeah. is of a professional sports person. Right. So if you think about playing in the NRL or AFL or whatever, they'll recruit you when you're young, mm. same as the military. Mm. They'll bring you in, they'll tell you how special you are and how amazing you are and all your mm. gifts, same as the military. They'll pay you really well. So in you know special operations, SASR and two commander, you'll earn over 100 grand a year, which is good money for a mm. young guy yeah. with no, no civilian skills. Yes. You'll travel the world. Mm. You'll be part of history. So in a you know sporting franchise, you'll be you know settle the records, whatever. Mm. In the military, you're part of you know foreign policy. You're mm. literally part of history. Um, you'll meet leaders from around the world who tell you how awesome you are. Mm. Same as sportsmen, right? Yes. And then you know you get paid like in a deployment year, you might earn 150 grand a year, which is good money. Mm. And then you leave the army, and you get nothing. So yeah. the money's gone. Yeah. You've got no skills, and those people who used to hold you in esteem no longer do. Mm. Um, you know, the politicians who told you how great, they, great you were, they didn't, know, they didn't even know who you are. So for a lot of guys, their sense of value is completely eroded. Yeah. So my personal belief is it's in that period where we lose guys because they've got no sense of self-worth, they don't know who they are, mm. they've got no skills that are valuable to society. Mm. It's tough. So. Mm. The hard thing is to keep guys alive in that period, and I don't, and I don't do any work in that phase. There's lots of good people right. out there who do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I usually see them when they've come through that stage and they're saying, you know, I would like to try and get a job somewhere. Yes. And then yeah. we sort of try and help them get a job in a very yeah. small, minute way. Right. There's mm-hmm. lots of organisations out there that do that. That help. And is there help also for, for wives and family members in, in, in learning how to um, help uh, somebody coming home? Not really. Oh, well, the military does do some. Yeah. The thing mm. about the military is, though, they don't do a lot of stuff very well. So, mm. now they'll train you for war, awesome, mm. Mm. Uh, and they'll buy you great uh, equipment and training. But when you come back, if you want to exit, mm. well, then you are no longer good to them. No, so you're And they'll push you out the door, right? Yeah, yeah. And they do have these things in place, but Mm. usually when you're at the end of it you burn out you're so sick of the military you want nothing mm. to do with it right. you don't you don't engage with that right okay. and then for the wives and kids and all that stuff you've mm. got this especially with a guy with PTSD a guy who's damaged mm. trying to work himself out yeah. taking it out on the family and it's yeah. just yeah so you can go to the Vietnam Veterans Association they'll give like free counselling mm-hmm. uh, I think they're out in Parramatta right um, so there is there is out there but mm. it's probably not as, as much as it needs to be no no okay and what are you actually? Are you, because you do do work with. Do uh, you, you continuously oh, do I've work? I've wound it back. You, right. So okay. I mm-hmm. was trying to just. So I set up a group called Commandos and Boardrooms with another couple of blokes. Mm-hmm. And the idea was, when guys are leaving two commando, they'd come out to our group, have a beer, mm-hmm. tell us what job they wanted to get, and we'd try and find them a job. Mm-hmm. But it's just so much work, and yeah. I just started my own yeah. business, and I just yes, couldn't exactly. do it. So. Yeah. so how having way going back right to where you started and saying that you were a bit lost and it. Why is it that you came back and you did so well? I mean, you know that you you, you do a you're a wonderful. I didn't actually talk about it at the beginning, although I have I will you know have in the intro mm. that you are a financial planner. You're one of the most caring financial planners mm. I know. Um, you've won awards for you know for that. You know you obviously care deeply about people. How did why were you so um, successful in coming back and, and doing what you? I think do? it goes back to my schooling and a bit of upbringing. So I was quite mm. lucky in that. I was really bookish when I was young, so I used right. to read heaps and heaps of books. Yes. Um, which is sort of quite, at a quite young age, gave me quite a really wide perspective on things. Mm. Um, uh, but then also, because I joined the army later, 
So I joined at 26. Right, so you're a little so the, bit more mature. Yeah, a bit more mature. That, yes. And the mm. army is part of my story. It's not my only story. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I'd already worked as a diesel feeder for years, which I hated. Can I say that enough? Can I say that enough? <laughs> it really yeah, sounds like I mean, you did. It's just like wasted years of my life, right? Oh, so I think no. that's a driver as well. Yeah. But then the military stuff as well, you know, guys dying, it's like, okay, I cannot continue to waste this life. I've got to really do the best I can with mm. what I've got mm. to help as many people as I can and, and my family as well. Mm. Mm. Um, so that's sort of what drives me is, you know, while I'm carrying the weight of my comrades' lives, two, I just cannot waste my life because if I waste my life, I've wasted their sacrifice. So yeah. that's a big driver. Yeah. But it, it could also work the other way. It didn't for me, but for other guys it can, mm. which is it can destroy them. Yes. But for me, it's a driver, mm. which I'm quite lucky. Mm. Yeah. Were you already met? And I ought to know this. Were you already no. met? No, you weren't. No. no so, so I met Jen after my wife, hi Jen, yeah. after my first tour. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then she did two tours as my partner. And that oh, was tough. Right. Yeah. yeah, it must have been yeah. very tough, actually. Yeah. So it was before mm. Skype. So you'd have a phone call. Mm. but How often? Uh, whenever you wanted to for us. But okay. I can't tell her anything I was doing. No. no. So she'd be going, what are you doing? I'm like talking to you like you know, like <laughs> terrible stuff and yes. i'm bad on the phone already so um so she struggled with that mm. but now they have skype it's much better mm. so you yeah. they can actually sort of see what you can going see them yeah, yeah 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 and the rest of your family your parents but i mean did you were you in contact a lot with family members when you were away no i didn't even tell my mum i was going the first didn't time you? no i just went um <laughs> wow. well that's actually i found out that greg sure who's a commander who died he did the same thing so when his family found out, he's, this is what I got told. I'm not sure. Sorry, the show family if I'm wrong. But mm. um, I got told that, yeah, his mum was like, what? He's where? Wow. Yeah, so. Goodness. But, I, you know, it's one yeah. of those things. You don't want them to worry and no, away you go. So. No, Being a mum, I, can, I can't even begin to imagine what that could be like. No, well, it's, you no. know, I, I looked at it as, it's probably quite selfish, but it's my journey. It's my choice. Mm. Um, you know, I, I'm not that close to my mum anyway, so it was mm. like, okay, I'll just go. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so we've talked a little bit. So, uh, I mean, do you feel, and in fact, I think probably you've answered it, that that what is done is adequate for people coming back, and could, what what could be done to improve? To it's improve? really strange, right? So, when I go to the army, I'm like, how is there nothing set up for mm. people transitioning? Yeah. Uh, the part of the problem is, the military sees an effective transition process as a threat to their units' retention of people, whereas I see it as um, if my unit helps me have a great career after the military, mm. that's a recruiting tool because one, I get to join special operations, have this amazing career, and then they'll help me get another amazing yeah. career, yeah. but they don't see it that way. Short-sighted. Short-sighted, right? Mm. They yeah. are slowly changing, like I've been to a few things recently where they're trying to get the bigger companies on board. I don't know, it's like the army just forgot about the past 100 years. Like they're mm. just going, it's crazy, mm. right? Mm. So they're now addressing it. Um, to make it better right but look I still think the best way to do it is like mentorship and then just networking so mm. you know usually if you go out to someone and say like a say you want to be a builder mm. if you go to a builder and say mate I love the way you do stuff mm. can I have a chat to you or can I how's this yeah. work and, mm. and then you sort of say well this is what I want to do how would I do that and then they'll yeah. take you under their wing and yes and actually yeah and train and help yeah. them do that yeah yeah, yeah. but not everyone wants to do that. Mm. And that's fine. Mm. Yeah. So it's an, it's going to be an ongoing an ongoing problem. I mean, for yeah. Yeah, it, it is, and mm. it's mm. this is the thing about the military mm. is guys have been leaving the military for a hundred and whatever mm. years, mm. and they don't really have an effective um, strategy in place. No, because 
Well, one thing about, especially SASR, Two Commando and um, Engineers, is they have these amazing technical abilities. So like, um, you know, all the training we've done teaches us to think, mm. which is really weird for the military, right? <laughs> but they teach you how to think. Mm. And then you come out of the military and you've got all these skills, but you don't have much knowledge. So we've got to improve guys' knowledge so they're employable, yeah. and then they can use all these amazing skills. That's yeah. the position we're at. But when you leave the military, all those, you know, you're the best shot in the unit. No one cares in civilian street. Mm. So all those skills that you're great at and where your sense of worth you don't have they're anymore, irrelevant, you need to so. retrain. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you know you wanted to be a financial planner by I the did. time you came out? Yeah, yeah I did. So <laughs> uh, all through my 20s, yeah. I just wasted my money. Right. And my dad was on to me saying, save it, save it, save it. And I was mm. like, you know, what do you know? Nothing. Mm. I'm going to just go drink it away. <laughs> uh, and then after my first tour of Afghan, I had about 50 grand, I think. And I was like, okay, if I don't save this, mm. it's going to be wasted. I wasted half of it. Right. I went to Europe for a month, had a great trip. Yeah. And the other half, I just, I went, I went to see an advisor at the bank. Uh, and underneath his table, mm. I could see all his targets. So he had to sell all these super funds, life insurance policies. I could see all the products underneath the table that he had to sell. Uh, so that put me off at the start. Right. Uh, and then he said to me that uh, I didn't have enough money. I only had about 15 grand for mine. Right. Um, and then he couldn't do anything for me. Um, so that put me off a fair bit. So then yeah. I, I went away and started studying financial planning and about um, financial products. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I loved it. So I loved the fact that, um, I can learn all about different companies all over the world and I can learn about you know, how they perform and all that kind of stuff and that's how I got into financial planning. So that was the real trigger for me and, and the more I learned about it, um, the more important that became yeah. and the less important the army became and that sort of faded away then. Okay. And, and so you started working for a firm uh, and you won, you, know, you won awards and that sort of thing but you're now working, um, you're working for yourself with, with, a, with a business partner. Yeah, so I teamed up with a guy named David Bourne, who's, uh, David and I joined the army on the same day. Right. I joined in Brisbane, he joined in Sydney. Um, we did all our recruit training, infantry training, advanced infantry training, commando course, all the reinforcement cycle and deployed together twice. So wow. um, we've known each other since 2004, mm-hmm. uh, best mates, uh, he's a very, very smart guy. Um, yes, I was working for a company in North Sydney, a really, really great company, um, but you know, life's funny and it didn't work out there. Mm. Um, so I started my own company. And it's right. the best thing ever. And yeah, obviously, yeah, knowing each other so well, what a great partnership. Uh, it's very a, lucky. You yeah. have a lot, a lot, of, a lot of history <laughs> together. He's very annoying. Is that? Very annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Very annoying. Oh, funny. That's all right. <laughs> That's all right. Um, and so, what, what do you sort of see for yourself in the next in the next ten years or so? Uh, yeah. So next ten years is uh, children, hopefully. Lovely. Yeah. Um, and then hopefully once the business is up and running, just sort of try and enjoy the journey a bit more. Mm, so, mm. Um, you know, we work really hard for our clients at the moment uh, to the detriment of my sort of family. But hopefully as, the, you know, as we get a bit more stability and the business is more mature, then, you know, we can spend more time with my wife and yeah. children and, and the dogs. And your gorgeous three dogs that you've got at the moment. <laughs> I know you're a big softie <laughs> despite. Yeah, yeah. It's three, uh, three miniature dachshunds. Yeah. Uh, and they're gorgeous. awesome. They're really, really great. So, yeah, big part of the uh, family. They're dogs, mm. you know. They, they mm. love you regardless. It's hard for me 
you know, not to love them back. So. Exactly, unconditional. Yeah, that's lovely. That's oh, thank you so much, Warren. And I think just in just in closing, mm. now normally um, for my podcast, I have a photograph of the person I'm interviewing, but in your case, you've actually asked me to take a photograph um, of uh, you know something that's very um, special to you. Could you just could you just tell the people who are listening what it is and explain its um, significance? Yeah, it's a silver bracelet. It's stamped with the no, uh, names of nine guys from my unit who were killed in the Afghan war. Mm. Um, and I wear it on my wrist every day. So uh, usually when someone's killed in the military, it's, it's American tradition. Um, right. You have that person's name engraved on the bracelet and where they died. But for my unit, we lost so many of them, I felt bad just wearing one person's name. So mm. I got this order from America. It has nine names on it. I've actually got a few more to few more to add. I really? That's sad. Um, mm. For me, this is, this, is, this is my strength and this is what drives me. So, yeah. you know, when I speak yeah. about carrying the nine lives, I, I literally do that on my wrist. So, mm. Um, mm. you know, it just reminds me. It reminds me all the time. You yeah. Don't take this for granted. You're very, very lucky. Mm. You've got to live your life. You've got to work hard. You've got to be as good as you can be. So mm. that's my reminder. Oh, that's very special. It means, obviously, it means a huge lot. Well, thank you very much, Warren, for sharing your story and experience from the army to where you are now as a successful business owner. It sounds like there's a lot more that could be done to help those suffering from PTSD or who are just simply finding it challenging to adjust back into civilian life, actually. And it's been really fascinating to hear your insights. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Remarkableness podcast with Warren Loudon. If you're listening to this on iTunes but would like to leave a comment, then please go to www.theremarkablenesspodcast.com and uh, click on episodes. If you'd like to contact Warren and find out how he might be able to help you from a financial planning point of view, um, his email address is warren at loudonvaughan.com.au. Thank you for joining me today and I'll see you next week.